Welcome to Design by Us, the show where we discuss how humans design the world. My name is Ravi Chohan, and with me today, as always, is Mr. Luigi Dintrono. How are you? Good, man. You? Yeah. I'm here sitting on the floor. This is commitment, man. Oh, really? Yeah. That's commitment to the podcast, to the listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me well? Yeah. 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 I can hear you. loud okay. and clear. Loud and clear. It's yeah. probably the last recording that I'm going to do in the middle of nowhere. So next time, we're going to have probably a more better setup and more consistent schedule, man. Your middle of nowhere is the middle of someone somewhere. Just bear yeah. that in mind. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. That, that got deep really quickly, man. <laughs> that got yeah, deep well, really quickly. Middle of nowhere to us is someone's home. Yeah, sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Could that still be the middle of nowhere? Uh, I don't know. Just feels a bit rude to talk about someone's place like that. Anyway. Look at you, Ravi. Yeah, well. Fending you know, all, all populace here. Yeah, exactly. Right. What are we talking about today? We're talking about Futura, right? And I want to give you a quote, right? Uh, Mm. Futura is really more about a far-reaching idea. It's an aesthetic idea about modernity, clean lines with a slight human touch, embodied in a name filled with hope. We are talking about Futura, the font, uh, which is kind of ubiquitous, kind of ubiquitous. Uh, You've probably seen it. uh, If you're in the UK, you've probably seen it in the Claire's logo, uh, which is a high street store. Um, if you're in America, you might have seen it in the Forever 21 uh, logo. If that you're went in... bankrupt. Oh, okay. You might have seen it in the, uh, in the a long time ago in the Forever 21 logo. And if you're in, a, I don't know, like somewhere posh, you might see it in the uh, Louis Vuitton wordmark as well, uh, oh. or the Dolce & Gabbana wordmark. So it's a, it's a completely ubiquitous font. It's been a little while since we did one of these deep dives on a particular font, and we're really excited to, to share the story with you. Yeah. Uh, uh, Calvin Klein has a, a version of Futura as well. Okay, FedEx yeah. used to have yeah. a version of Futura. Red Bull, mm-hmm. a version mm-hmm. of Futura. And we're going to talk about all the iterations that happened in America afterwards. Mm-hmm. Domino's Pizza, Gillette, Nike, and Absolute Vodka as well. As well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, all of, it's like it's like humans, right? Like We all come from uh, one ancestor, but we're kind of all different like with our, let's say, our cousins. Um so it's the same thing with Futura. It's like they all come from one place, but there are so many iterations after that. Mm-hmm. And the most importantly is Luigi's favorite typeface. Is it? Yeah, man. I think didn't, we I didn't have, know that. I think we had this discussion when we it's, were talking in the, about Helvetica. It's Luigi's favorite typeface. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. What do you think we're doing with that, this episode? Okay. I have okay. reasons to argue why. Okay. All right. Well, look, that can be a theme. Um, yeah. That could but be anyway, thing. all right, Ravi. So over history, what was the main highlight of Futura? Uh, would you say probably when I used it in that poster that I designed a few weeks ago? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for me, it was a, when I made it into the website that I never launched. Okay. Uh, for the experts. But anyway, now seriously, what, what what was the main highlight of Futura? Actually, when was it invented and by who? So Do you have it was desi- Yeah, it was designed yeah. in the twenties. Yeah. A guy could was working on it, a guy called Paul Renner. Um, I was diving into it. Apparently, there's a little bit of controversy as to who exactly created it. Um, in 2017, yeah. there was like another bloke uh, and they found his old te- sketchbooks and there's something that looked very similar to what Futura became in there. But yeah, basically, um, Paul Renner started sketching Futura in 1924 and then it was available for use in 1927. So we're talking kind of after the First World War, before the Second World War uh, in yeah. Germany. Um, it's connected. A lot of people say it's kind of connected with Bauhaus. Uh, Paul Renner was never like formerly a student of Bauhaus, but they say that a lot of his ideas were kind of influenced by particularly a lot of the modernist architecture coming out of it. And, you know, in general, that, you know, Futura as a font, like if you 
it's difficult to like visually like verbally describe a font obviously it's super visual um but think about really geometric letter forms uh one thing that people always talk about is the uh is the o letter so yeah. the letter o it's as close as you can get to being a perfect circle without it actually being a perfect circle. It's still slightly squished yeah, uh, yeah. to make it a slight oval, um, just to make, I guess, for legibility or readability. Uh, yeah. But it's a highly, highly geometric. Um, it's like, typeface. imagine you took squares, triangles, and circles, and you made yeah. the whole alphabet with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you know what it took me? It took me by surprise here that it took three years to actually bring this typography from or typeface from a from idea and design to actually production and being able to use it three, three yeah. years yeah. designing typefaces takes a long time like it's yeah. not easy like you have to the, the thing the thing that you have to do from what i understand is that you have to like not only design it but then you have to think about particularly nowadays like now that fonts are software, right? You have to tell the computer and create rules as to what happens when certain letters are next to each other. And you have to do that for every single combination of letters, right, basically. So A and B might be a, a few points apart, um, but A and C, it might look better when C is slightly closer. And you've got to do that with the whole alphabet every yeah. single time. And it's not just A through Z and zero through nine. There's a whole bunch of other characters that you have to create to make a typeface work. Yeah. Not just punctuation, um, but then also accents, uh, letters that aren't you know typically used in English, and yeah, just a whole bunch. Just think about all the stuff that's on your keyboard, right? You've got yeah, to yeah. go and make that and more. It's uh, it's insane. Which is a big difference from uh, how it was done before, because before you just have big blocks of lead that just had the same spacing, and if you use the D next to the A, it's the same D that you're going to use next to the B, C, yeah. F, E, whatever, right? So, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, this, the tech part enabled us to actually create better and co more com visually compelling images. But well, I think that I, yes and no. I, I mean, you could, we'll yeah, talk, you could we'll, argue. We'll, but we'll, we'll talk about that. But like my final point, my final point there is that if you actually think about handcrafted things in, in software, a lot of the things are fully automated right now. Like if you, buttons are fully automated or like a lot of things in software are fully automated. You create a page and you barely think about all the details. I think typeface is one of those little things that is still combines tech and arts like really, really well. And like yeah, people actually look at the details and every single pixel and how things move uh, in the screen or in the, in the how it looks in a, in a sheet of paper, how it looks big, how it looks small, it, readability, but also appealing to the eye, also functionality. It's super interesting typeface. And that's like my highlight of, the, of this episode was pretty much mm -hmm. that but go on mm -hmm. how are you gonna say well, well you know you're kind of saying that like um you know software gives you kind of more flexibility and stuff like that i mean one example where that's kind of not the case and futura was made initially you know back in the day right uh, and, yeah. and it was made initially as a metal typeface and it was like a literal thing that you could buy yeah uh, and actually the word font basically meant one point size so one size of a one size of what we would call a font. Um, and they'd have like multiple fonts in the typeface, right? But basically because each one was, each point each point size was designed, what it meant was that you could change each letter form uh, as it kind of went up or went down the point sizes. So your X at eight point could be very mm -hmm. subtly different to your X at 10 points. Uh, and that's less, that's kind of less commonplace now with digital fonts. So you do lose some stuff as, as technology marches but on. But is there a reason for that? Yeah, so a like- design decision. Yeah, it's a design decision. So say for example, um, it, it it depends, right? Because 
I'm not I'm not an expert on fonts, but like say for example, you have something called X height, right? Yeah. So that is if you if you look at sorry, uh, that's the height in the X axis. No, no, no. What what is no. X height? What do you mean? X. Yeah. So that's what I'm gonna say. Okay, go on. <laughs> right. So so if you have like letters like uh, take the letter B for example, right? Let's yeah. say B has got is made of a of a circle and a line, right? Yeah. The height of the circle is your X height. And typically that's the same height as your lowercase c, as your lowercase e, as your lowercase u, v, you know, any letter. Okay. Including x, which is where it's typically measured. So that's the x height, right? Okay. And then what you've got above that, the line of the b, uh, is the ascender. Um, mm -hmm. And basically when people say a font has got quite a large x height or quite a small x height, they're basically talking about the ratio um of the ascender to the like the the circle in the b basically yeah. um and what futura is well known for is having quite a small x height so you've got these long ascenders um and depending on who you ask and i've seen different people say different things a high x height gives better readability because each kind of lowercase letter is easier to see because the thing that really makes the thing that letter is like more like prominent right it takes yeah. up more of the space uh, but then according to other people, it's the opposite that makes it easier to read. So no one really knows. Oh, yeah. But yeah, that was an, another interesting highlight that, uh, basically lowercase typefaces are much harder to design because you have all the, the as I didn't actually know the X height terminology, but I knew you have the ascents and the descents parts, right? So you need to accommodate for all of those fluctuations as, as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Super interesting. All right. So my. Do you know why Futura is my favorite type typeface? No, I don't. No, go on, tell me. Basically, because that was the font that brought us to the moon. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And when once I learned that in like that was, that was about fifteen years ago, I said, mm -hmm. "Well, this is the one." Mm -hmm. That's pretty much the reason why. <laughs> but there are really interesting things because basically Futura, what happened is that it arrived to the U.S. before the war or when the war was starting, the Second World War, and then they created all these different variations, and then the war happened. A few things, a few, a few situations happened with uh, like the, the the Nazi party was using it as well in different cases. And then what happened afterwards was that uh, when it came to the Apollo, uh, they were they were creating the Mercury missions, right? And then the Mercury missions transformed into the Apollo program. What happened was that a lot of the Mercury paperwork started using Futura, and because it was just the easiest way and for readability for the manuals and the easiest way for everything to be consistent. Then once they started creating and pushing the the Apollo program further, what happened was that Futura they, they were working with different partners like IBM, Airbus, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So they imagine all of these people creating things with different typefaces, different manuals, different equipment. Imagine the the, the panel for the, the, the Mercury capsule, the panel being with different typefaces just because they miscommunicated. And then yeah. there is a lot of context switching for the astronaut. And in case mm -hmm. of an emergency, you just want to be like always straightforward. It's so like, it's, I, I guess yeah. it's like if like, if the UI on your laptop, just every single yeah. button had a different font, it's just a like, different okay. thing. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. So basically they were like, look, we need to figure something out here. So they, they went with Futura. And the reason is because it was functional, easy to read in many, many different um, sizes and it was, it was it was useful it was always like really easy to eat in, in many languages for for all right in that moment it was only english but if they needed to translate things from multiple languages it was really well made for to translate with the accents to translate with different typeface different uh, characters that are not english 
that are, that are not for English. Mm-hmm. And um, and there I have here a few a few interesting instruments mm-hmm. that are I'm gonna walk you through it. So here, if you if you the main thing that used Futura was the the whole instrument panel. So what the ast- astronaut actually sees is all like tacked with Futura mm-hmm. everything. So mm-hmm. all the 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 gauges, the, the levers, the buttons, like everything that has or can have a, a phase in the instrument, a, a type phase in the instrument panel was done with yeah. Futura. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then all the navigational aids, which again is super important because once you're trying to land a capsule in on Earth, you need to access and read things really quickly, right? So you can't really spend a lot of time trying to understand what, what a piece of instrument is trying to tell you. You just need to glance at it and see and read really quickly. Um, so that one is another one. And that extended up to like the food, food packages, the the equipment, all the the cameras, all the controls, all the instructions. So for 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 specific panels in case of decompression. So basically they said, look, if something happens here in this panel, these are like the steps to do some to do this. Right. So for example, right. so they the, have the, the instructions yeah. to fix the, the problem at where the problem is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's cool, yeah. So basically, in case of emergencies, the easiest thing to read that they decided in that moment was Futura. And mm-hmm. that's basically what happened. That's interesting. For that. yeah. do, you, do, you think, do you think that the reason why Futura became Futura, like the reason why it was used was because it was called Futura? In, uh, in a, so I have a theory yeah. on why it was called Futura. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, let's reverse that. I have a theory on why Futura lasted so long. Mm-hmm. Because there were actually a lot of typefaces that were very similar, that had a very geometrical shape during the exact same time period. Very geometrical mm-hmm. shapes, again, very different, uh, very very different um, X height. What you were saying, um, but what happened was is that the marketing team—I don't even know if they called it a marketing team or they who decided the name—is that the name was actually very simple, very simple, very memorable compared to other really random fonts that uh, that exist um, it was very memorable and also it was very it was a meaning of, of hope in uh, during a very turbulent period in time yeah so yeah, yeah, yeah. just having that idea of futura just made it look like oh yeah let's just use this for like anything that is like forward thinking so appa- just appa- make it look appa- that way yeah apparently um stanley kubrick used it in 2001 a space odyssey before and he he's on the record is uh, saying that it's kind of one of his favorite favorite fonts and then also uh, Wes Anderson as well obviously a bit more of a contemporary filmmaker but apparently in all of his films like everything that could be type is Futura like that's just what he does and not just like in terms of like um kind of like title graphics and that kind of stuff but like in the scene uh yeah. and uh signage within within and stuff like that which is interesting um the um the listeners will be able to have a look at the um i guess they'll be able to see some of the instruments that you're talking about on apollo um did you know that in the uk they they ran a test for signage right and the idea was that people would would drive past these signs right for the for the motorway uh, and they did a test and they tested like memory recall and they had mm-hmm. two types of signs. One was all in caps and one was uh, in sentence case. And they found that people were better able to remember what they'd seen when it was in sentence case. And it's just looking through the images that you shared with me. Like it strikes me that a lot of this stuff is in uppercase. And I wonder if if they wanted to make it even more legible, even more readable and even more kind of user friendly that maybe they should use sentence case. What do you think? Sentence case is just capitalize the first one. Or yeah, what, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like like as you would write a sentence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's super interesting because I did also research on capitalization 
and mm-hmm. uh, and how it changed a bit. And there is an example in, from Vanity Fair that we can go into. Mm-hmm. Basically, what capitalization is trying to tell you is that it's giving relevance to a specific. If you zoom in into the the word, it's just giving relevance to a specific letter in that word, and just being mm-hmm. like, "Hey, I'm important. Start mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. right?" And that's basically what is what it, what what is trying to do to the brain subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we give it to names, we give it you... to titles, we give it to things. Yeah. So my point is, I think. I don't know if readability, I mean, if that's what the data says, fair enough, but I don't know how the study was made, but I wouldn't agree that readability, that it makes it more readable if you have that sentence case. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I'm saying that is because there is this really cool Vanity Fair, I'm, I'm adding it here. So basically, Vanity Fair, before the war, adopted, was, was, was just using a very serif-based typeface. I don't know exactly which one it was, but then they mm-hmm. updated to Futura. Mm-hmm. And I added a few examples on here. And mm-hmm. there is one in particular, which is the second example, in which they went completely, like if you compare both. So for example, the one before they had the, I think it was called camel case or whatever. I don't know, it's not camel case, but it's the one that you highlight like every first letter in the in the, in the sentence is, yeah. is capital. Title case. Yeah. Title case, yeah. yeah. And then you also have the f- very first letter of the paragraph is very big. I also don't know how that's called, but that's what what they were doing. And then they were completely the opposites in, in the a few years later. They went nothing is 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 capital. Everything is lowercase. I even the quotes from from guests, the titles. Yeah, they went like completely different. And it was really interesting because apparently there are rumors that this was happen happening right after there was like a communist revolution in Russia, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they, some people took this as a revolution that was entering through America, which they were saying like all letters are equal. So this could mean like a socialist infiltration in <laughs> through a, one of the most popular uh, magazines in the U.S., um, which is Vanity Fair. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not saying that's true, but it's just interesting how things, how people made up things. No, but it, that. but it, it's really interesting, and it's it's worth saying that in both of these changes, right? So kind of pre and post Futura for Vanity Fair, the body copy was still a serif font, right? Was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like. And and I and I think in you know they, they basically if you're not familiar with the terms like serif font is like Times New Roman right um so so a serif font then is it's kind of got these little feet on it uh, and that comes from back in the day when they when one of the first uses for fonts was to actually be carved out of stone and that's kind of where that comes from thing like you know ancient Roman that kind of stuff but anyway in theory that's supposed to be more readable which why it makes sense that Vanity Fair stuck with that for their body copy and for me I always prefer body copy uh, particularly for editorial um, in a in a um in a serif font yeah readable when printed yeah on screen is different yeah that is fair that's fair that's a really fair point yeah that's what i said for editorial right yeah fair but yeah, yeah. that's a that's a good point yeah yeah but um yeah i mean i mean actually what why is it different for for printed because i think that's very interesting because printed you know the resolution is infinity by infinity whereas on a screen you know you're you're dealing with Print, printed is not infinity by infinity well by yeah it far. is it it is kind of if you think about it because you know like okay so different printed technologies work in different ways but the ink you know it's on the page right it's there but if you get really close to a newspaper you can see the different dots of color like so the that, that yeah so that that's because they're, they're printing cmyk right yeah uh, and that's just how they print images but for text the k is the key color it's black so it's full black if that makes sense yeah. All right. All right. So then why is it different for uh, for screen? Because you, you you typically deal with much lower resolution. Like it's not 
it, it's not able to resolve detail in the same way that printed stuff is. So it's, to give you an example, right? If, if you're like producing an image for for screen versus for print, for screen, 150 pixels per inch, which is a measure of the number of pixels, you know, in an area in any given area. Yeah. Um, you need double for print because if you have l less than that, it will just look bad. So. Um, so basically, yeah. a more squared or geometrical shape will adapt better to pixels because the more curves you add, the more complex the shape will be and the more pixels you will need to add a better resolution, correct? Honestly, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's that that straightforward because you've also got stuff like dithering and font smoothing and that kind of stuff, which messes with, it's really complex. Yeah, technology. font smoothing is a mess thing. And uh, like so yeah. many browsers, yeah. Anyway, I'm, yeah. I'm not a big fan of font smoothing anyway, but um, anyway, there's a very deep uh, topic that we should talk about in another podcast because this is about Futura. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so that was the, the main thing. Um, another super cool thing is that Futura was the center of inspirations. And this is what, what we were talking about, that when it went to the US, many actually, many companies or many, many artists or many, I don't know, uh, typeface creators, whatever they were called, many designers, mm -hmm. they took Futura as inspiration and they created a bunch of other typefaces so, that we have here. 20th century series. Yeah. Yeah. The one that they were using for 20th Century Fox as well, mm -hmm. ages ago. A Spartan mm -hmm. series, the Vogue series, Tempo mm -hmm. series, which, which is, is I actually is still very, is still around. Mm -hmm. Sans Serif series, um, and they had other ones, which is called Steamy series and other ones. But anyway, 20th Century Spartan, Vogue, Tempo are the main ones, and they were all based in Futura. So, so do you, do you, do you know why? Do you know why all these alternatives kicked off? No way. So basically, it was made in the, it was made in Germany, right? Yeah. It was a physical font that's made in Germany and shipped and imported to places, right? Uh, the problem is, is that after, and this is so interesting, and it reminds me of how um, it still is a huge business, but the tools that designers use, you know, it's a business at the end of the day, right? Yeah. And basically, obviously, in the 30s in the States, you had the Great Depression. And because of that, they put a whole bunch of tariffs on anything that was imported, which meant that US companies and US designers couldn't easily import the font from yeah. from Germany, right? Yeah. yeah. From Europe. Um, so then they had to create their own. And that's what kicked off a lot of the clones and, and everything else like that um, mm. in the US, which is so interesting because if it's any other product, it sounds normal, right? If yeah, it's a yeah. car, can't import that car, we'll make our own car. But it's just so weird with fonts because, you know, we're just so used to thinking about it as the digital file. You just... Yeah, you don't, you don't have to... Yeah, exactly. You don't have to import anything. But from my, from my perspective, what it is, and this is another reason why this is the best typeface in the world, mm -hmm. it's just because copying is the best piece of flattery. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah. I have a list here of, um, of uh, every major type company in the last 20 years has have their own licensed version of Futura. Yeah. And uh, we have here a Bitstream Futura, Adobe Futura, Mewville Digital Futura, which I didn't know what it was, mm -hmm. and um, Linotype Futura, Monotype Futura. Like, there is a bunch. Yeah. So that's another reason why Futura is the best typeface in the world. Yeah, and actually another another reason above Helvetica. Well, an, another reason why. Um, well, yeah, no, but um, <laughs> no, another reason why there's so many as well is because yeah. of the way IP works around fonts. Okay. So at the moment, IP like basically they look at fonts as software, and because yeah. it's, it's SVG and a whole bunch of other code um, that basically determines what what happens when you press the letter R on your keyboard, right? And so basically the copyright is on the is on the software that creates that R rather than the actual shape of the R that is created. 
if that makes sense. So again, that's kind of why you have all of these cool kind of offshoots of one another and, and everything else like that yeah. in the world of typography. I actually didn't know that. Oh, yeah, no. So you so just can, make minor changes and then kind of, but you're not really making minor changes. I, I think it's difficult. I think, and it's also different in different countries. Um, mm. But a type designer was explaining it to me a few weeks ago, and that's what they said, which was interesting. Wow, nuts! Can I give you a reason why Futura might not be the best one in the world? All right, go on. Nazi Germany. All right, tell me. Tell me right, um, you know, Nazi Germany. Futura was obviously created in Germany, and actually, it was. Um, it was created and it was kind of rejected initially. People were like, you know, this is not traditional German values that the Nazi party were kind of claiming uh, that they were trying to kind of put put, put into German society. Um, and there was, um, when you think of the Nazi party and think of Nazi Germany, you're probably thinking when it, when it comes to type, you're probably thinking of a font like Fracture, um, which is kind of like, it's called a black letter typeface. And it's like really think like 16th, 17th century kind of like, you can imagine like like a Bible being written in this kind of yeah. form, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like a very like heavy metal typeface. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Heavy metal. Yeah, that's a great that's a great way of describing it, yeah. right? So they were basically saying, look, this is this is what type should look like in in Nazi Germany, right? And they basically meant it basically rejected Futura, and um, because it was it was modern. Um, however, then in 1941, they they looked at. Uh, kind of these uh, black letter typefaces and said, actually, these 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 letter forms have Jewish heritage because it looks too similar to Hebrew. And therefore they banned that and kind of styles of writing in that way. Yeah. Um, and therefore they, they actually went back to Futura, um, which is obviously really sad. Yeah, that's pretty much what happens when you change the head of the sign in a, in a company. <laughs> you just <make> decisions <laughs> like this. Yeah, I mean, it sucks. Um, it sucks because it's a big, sad piece of history. Um, yeah. But another reason why it's the best typeface in the world is because it went through harsh moments, harsh moments of usability, and it still came through. That piece yeah. of negative branding, it didn't stick yeah. in the typeface. Yeah, no, fair enough. And I have another, a few interesting uh, uh, other facts that were that were used by Futura. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to just like list them here. So early adopters include the na- na- Germany's Communist Party, as we talked about. It was actually uh, after that the Vanity Fair used it, which we already talked about in 1929, which became one of the major pu- publications to, to use Futura mm-hmm. in the whole the whole magazine. In the 1960s, also the advertising's Mad Men used, it, used the phone to promote the Volkswagen Beetle. Uh, mm-hmm. which is also very famous and made it really popular, mm-hmm. which was really cool. We already talked about NASA as well, to, which used it to put the letter. The, they put it actually in the plague that left left in the, the, in the lunar lander. Mm-hmm. And they also used it all over the, the Apollo mission. Another one, which I thought was really good, that was actually used then in 66, in 1966, for the US, when they were creating the the maps for Vietnam, as well as all the aviation maps for the war. Um, and it's actually a really interesting one because it's, it's maps are these really massive pieces of information that are very complex and very like there's a lot of lines there's a lot of going on a lot going on so you'd actually need a specific typeface that is very well is readable and you can you can't confuse it with other lines if that Mm -hmm. makes sense so to me i would think like maybe futura would be too you could confuse it with any dotted lines or any other like you know like piece of because because it's so geometric yeah exactly you you confuse it with any other piece of like landmark that um, that you wouldn't actually choose Futura, but mm-hmm. yeah, they did it. Mm-hmm. Then also the ninety in the seventies, Nike used it as well in in, in their ads. 
and they did a, a whole just do it Futura flag, mm -hmm. which was uh, also really interesting. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. Futura is defunct. Do you know? I'll tell. I'll tell you. I'll give you another usage uh, mm. that you missed out. All right, which one? Uh, apparently, it was big in politics in the fifties and sixties. All right, and and we'll we'll put a link in the show notes to to the particular article I'm thinking about. Um, but essentially, really, really big. Nixon used it uh, in his re-election campaign in 1972. Watergate happened. And then Futura and sans serif fonts in general just went out for all, like no one was using it again until uh, George W. Bush and later Obama. Uh, yeah. who, and Obama famously used Gotham, which is based on Futura. Um, there's a great documentary about it on Abstract on Netflix about the creation of the Gotham font. Oh, so really? it's interesting how these okay. things kind of go we'll in and out. We'll add it to the show notes. Of, yeah, it's interesting how these things go in and out of you know, fashion. It's really, it's really interesting how, because when you, when I see Gotham, I think about Obama as well. So it's really interesting mm -hmm. how typeface just, and politics are just so intertwined that a typeface can can make that relationship between you and that what you feel towards that party or towards that politician, right? I'll put I'll put the um I'll put the link in the uh, in the in the show notes. But yeah. um, there's a great article about the ideological positioning of different types of fonts, right? Yeah. And something like I can't remember, but I think something like Times New Roman is more ideologically aligned to the right in terms of what people perceive it as. And then there was another font that was a little bit like Fracture that we were talking about earlier, the German blackletter font. Yeah. Um, which was very, very kind of there's more to the right and then on the left you had stuff like um century gothic which is looks at and gil sands which looks a little bit like futura uh, so kind of progressive versus traditional um you know all the rest of it it's it's really interesting damn damn that's yeah, super interesting but um yeah so this was pretty much all what i had for today um in, in short futura got us to the moon served many political campaigns either good ones or bad ones so multi-purpose mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. also very good for readability to be using maps yeah panels anything you want yeah so yeah yeah futura is futura futura is futura well if you enjoyed the show uh you can share the show with people that you really like uh if you didn't enjoy the show share it with people that you don't like and if you want yep. to uh follow us um or follow the show you can do so by heading to bios.design and there you'll see links to our twitter uh, and while you're there as well you'll also see a link to our patreon uh, where you can choose to support the show if you want to help us keep doing what we do. Uh, every pound that we get goes right back into the making of the show. Um, we really appreciate the support of all, of all of our patrons and we also really enjoy talking to them on our exclusive Patreon member community um, where we get ideas and we talk about some really cool stuff there. So uh, do come along and join us. Amazing. Thanks, Ravi. Fantastic. Next time. Adios. Bye-bye.